Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church. We are delighted to have you here with us, joining us uh, for our in-person gathering. Thank you for being with us. We are at week number seven uh, since we began uh, re- gathering again in person, and it has been what I predicted. It's been different, and it's been gradual, but it's been good. It's been so good. It's been so good to be together because that's the way God designed community, to be together. And I can tell you that for me personally, I've been asked several times how I'm feeling about everything and how I'm feeling about our services. And I just simply say, you know, it isn't what I would hope for, but it's actually more than I think I would have expected on people gathering. And so I'm really thankful that you're here, thankful for those joining us uh, at home. And I can tell you this, I would much rather speak to live bodies than to a camera in a dark room. So those of you that are here, thank you so much. We know that when we surveyed our congregation early on, we had some say we're running back, some say they're walking back, some say they're holding back. I think some that said they're running back are actually holding back. And I think some that are walking back might be running back. So it's all a little different, right? It's not what we expected, but we're thankful to be together. And I love what the scripture teaches. We just sang a wonderful song together. We, I hope it resonates in your heart this morning. We have a good, good father. The Bible says every good gift comes from above. From the father of lights, from the Lord of all glory, in whom there is no shadow of turning. My new motto is this. We are living in uncertain times, but we have a certain God. We are living in changing times, but we have an unchanging God. He's an unchanging father. And circumstances may swirl and they may trip us up at times. They may confuse us. They may disorient us. But the reality is God is not moved by any of it. And he wants to bring that presence of peace and love and joy into our hearts. And so we celebrate the good, good father that we have today. We want to thank you again for those of you that have already subscribed to GCC TV. Um, Those of you that are home, we trust that you do this. Those that are in person, we also would encourage you to do it so that if for some reason you miss a service or cannot attend the the in-person gathering, that you can still access the service by way of GCC TV. And uh, we just would encourage you to go out to YouTube, find us there and then register or subscribe uh, right there. We also want to say that those that are joining us today, we know that we have perhaps some newcomers to Grace Crossing. Maybe it's your very first time joining us for a service, and uh, we want to just acknowledge you. We know that you're here. We're thankful that you're here. Uh, If you're here in person, you can let us know by way of a, uh, a card that you can fill out. You can go online and do that. Those at home, there is a link right in the broadcast where you can let us know that you're a guest here today. We'd love to be able to say thank you uh, for joining us. I also want to say a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that we were going to be resuming our um, live event on Uversion. We know that many of you join us by way of Uversion for the talks each and every week. Um, We announced that a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we didn't have it, and I want to say, and I want to own it, that was my bad last Sunday. Uh, And so I I want to thank you for your grace that we didn't have it last week, but it is up and live this week. If you are not or have not joined us on Uversion, that gives you access to all the scriptures that we're using in the talk. Uh, also a place to jot down thoughts or notes uh, electronically. You can do that out at Uversion, so we would encourage you to go out and uh, take advantage of that today. 
Now, today we are continuing our series that we've been in now for seven weeks uh, entitled Recalibrate. And the idea of recalibrating is simply the idea of adjustment. It's, it's adjusting our thinking. It's adjusting the way we do things, our behaviors. Um, and in this series, what we're doing is encouraging all of you to join us in praying where God might want to be recalibrating us. And so we've already covered a number of uh, different topics and a lot of ground in this series. Again, you can access uh, by way of GCC TV if you want to take advantage of any of those uh, previous weeks that we've talked about. But this morning, we're going to talk about a topic that I think is really crucial uh, in this series and in this season that we find ourselves in. Because during this time of pandemic, I think every single one of us here are having to reevaluate and rethink what we call success. I, I think regardless of uh, how we've lived our lives, we're, we're now being challenged, and it's even being called into question what we coin success. Not so much by choice, but by circumstance. We're being required to rethink the idea of it. This past week, uh, Kelly and I tried to have a more of a normal date night. We actually went to a restaurant where we were going to go in and have a, a table in the restaurant to enjoy a meal. Uh, first time this week for us to do that. It was kind of a step out of our kind of comfort zone. And I can tell you when we walked in, what we experienced was a restaurant with spatial seating, um, you know, very few people. And um, it was just different. It wasn't what we would have expected. We then went to a store uh, to uh, visit a store. It was one place we had kind of on our radar that night to go. And when we got there, we noticed a sign that said that the store was being limited to 24 people at a time. That's a large store. We were surprised at only 24. The doors were locked, and we assumed that that's how they were taking care of letting people in and out. And then we noticed that they had closed early. Yeah, everything is kind of different now, isn't it? It's inconvenient. And so much of life, what we call success, what organizations call success, what we deem successful uh, is really being challenged and called into question. And I think when you look at the way the world defines success, there are generally three metrics the world uses to define success. First of all, accomplishments. What I do or what I've done. Secondly, affluence. What I own, what I'm worth. And the, the, the third one is influence. How people see me and how I am viewed as successful in other people's eyes. Now, Jesus came to a world that had its definitions for success. At the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, at the age of 30, Jesus is actually tested on his metrics of success. He's actually challenged to define success for his ministry. Following his baptism, the father says, my beloved son, the Holy Spirit descends on him, empowering him. He's then led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert where he is actually tempted for 40 days by the devil. And what was the point of the temptation? 
The temptation actually was all about how Jesus was going to define success. The devil wanted him to define success as being spectacular. Turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, do something spectacular. He wanted him to define his success as doing something or becoming sensational. Throw yourself off the highest point of the temple and the angels will come and take charge over you. You will not even be injured. Wow, wouldn't that be sensational? Wouldn't that make headline news? And he resists it. And the third temptation that the enemy brings when he can't get him to be spectacular and be sensational, he says, well, then why don't you be superior? Bow to me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world that you will have authority over. And Jesus resists each of those temptations. The reality is that Jesus knew something about success that we today are invited into. Jesus did not take the bait. He didn't take the hook by the way the metrics are, are given to us by the world's standards. Instead, Jesus lives a life for 30 years of relative obscurity and poverty. Even at the age of 30, when he moves into his public ministry, he only has three years on earth. And he has little to show by the way of material possessions. He owns nothing. He has no property. He has no possessions to call his own. He says, I don't even have a pillow to lay my head on. No place to lay my head. Jesus, according to scholars, New Testament scholars, never traveled more than about 30 miles from his original point of origin, except when he was a child and was in Egypt. But in his public ministry, he never moved beyond about 30 miles. Now, let me give you some context for that. Let me put that in perspective. Dayton is about 60 square miles. So though Jesus impacted countless lives, the reality of of what he did, spiritually speaking, was really trumped in some ways by the fact that he was very limited, physically speaking. By many accounts, people would look at the life of Jesus and they could easily say, Jesus was a failure. He really didn't do anything successful in his years here on earth. The great effect of Jesus' life came following the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so this morning, let me ask you the question, how do you define success? What do you call successful in your life? What are the metrics that you use to make you feel as though you are successful? Whatever those metrics were, I suspect that they are different post-COVID. That as we're living in this world of COVID, things have changed from what they were pre-COVID. I know for me in vocational ministry, for many years, um, I had an understanding of success as being defined by what I call the ABCs, attendance, building, and cash. Uh, th those are the things that many people would evaluate success by. In other words, if you've got larger crowds, if you've got bigger expanding buildings, and if you've got growing or increasing budgets, 
then you are somehow successful in vocational ministry. Truth be told, we have none of those today. We don't define success by shrinking crowds, do we? We don't define success by halted building expansions, do we? We don't define success by more modest budgets. But what if in God's providence that that is what God has in mind for success? What if that's part of the recalibration? What if there is a resetting that God is doing inside of all of us and our understanding of what successful is? Successful isn't always bigger. Successful isn't always better. But there are ways that Jesus modeled success that I think God invites us to rethink success by. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, at really two ways that I think the scripture gives us this idea of success very clearly. There are two things that Jesus modeled that we are now invited by God to make our big ambition, to use as our metrics to evaluate our success. And so this morning, we're going to talk about redefining success, redefining success. There are two words I want you to remember today. Just two words. This will be simple. But here's the first word I want you to remember. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. The degree to which I am faithful is the degree to which I am successful. The scripture, I think, has a, builds a very clear case of this. That we are called not to outcomes, not to results, but we are called to faithfulness. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Listen, everything that I have and everything that you have is a gift from God. How we treat God's grace and how we handle God's gifts in our lives determine our level of success. Everything you have, everything that you are, and everything that you do is actually a gift of God's grace. We wouldn't do any of it if it were not for God's grace. And so what the Bible teaches is that we are to use whatever it is that God has graced us with as faithful stewards, managers, caretakers, servants of that which doesn't belong to us. I don't own any of the gifts that I possess. I didn't create any of those gifts. Those gifts are given to me as a gift of God's grace. And what I'm called to do then in response is I'm called to, to be faithful to what it is God has given to me. Now, I think in the life of Jesus, we see this manifested and 
lived out and expressed in several ways his faithfulness. First of all, I think we are called to be faithful to God's will. We are called to be faithful to God's will. There are some people that believe that the will of God is God imposing his will over our will. That somehow God forces us to do this, that, or the other thing. The reality is God will never override your will. That is not what the will of God is about. God's will is not a hostile takeover. In fact, God's will is not an ultimatum. God's will is an invitation. You can think of God's will this way, that God's will is not do this or else. God's will is do this and you will be doing my best offer to you and and you will have abundant life because of it. What Jesus did is he lived faithfully to God's will. He did what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7 says, we live by faith, not by sight. Jesus did that. He lived his life by faith, not by what he saw, not by the world's metrics of success. So let me state the obvious here at the beginning. A faithful life is a faith-filled life. It is a life that is filled with faith in God that is lived out in the presence of others. Where we trust God even when our eyes are telling us otherwise. Even when everything else is saying, this is not what you should put your trust in. We choose to put our trust in God. We be faithful to God's will. Jesus was secondly faithful to his walk. He was faithful to his walk. I like what Galatians chapter five, verse number six says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. How was Jesus' faithfulness lived out? It was lived out by him expressing his faith through love. Let me ask you, how do we here at Grace Crossing Church fulfill the vision God has given us from Micah chapter six, verse eight? How do we act justly? How do we love mercy? Because when you look at those two uh, calls and those two invitations by God, the reality is they seem like spiritual, a spiritual polarity. I mean, how can you do justice and mercy simultaneously? They feel like opposites. I think we do it the way Micah told us to. We walk humbly with God. Because as we walk humbly with God and we are faithful to our walk, God then helps us know how to integrate justice and mercy together. How to be filled with mercy and fighting for justice all at the same time. Jesus lived out this faith and love in such a way that the spiritual religious gatekeepers of his day actually told him that he misrepresented God. Can you imagine? Jesus was accused of misrepresenting God. 
And those who thought they knew God actually looked at the way Jesus lived out his faith through love and accused him of being a misrepresentation of God. And listen, when we follow the path of Jesus, the very same thing often happens in our lives. When we follow the path that Jesus invited us to walk and calls us to follow, there are times in our life that uptight Christians will actually question our salvation. I actually heard one author say it like this. I thought it was profound. He said, when you live the life Jesus called you to, you will be too Christian for your pagan friends and too pagan for your Christian friends. Jesus somehow knew how to walk that tightrope, didn't he? He understood how to be full of grace and truth. He understood how to do justice, act justly, but also to love mercy. And he invites us into that walk with him. The question is, how faithful are we at walking out our faith in love? The the third thing that I think Jesus modeled in faithfulness, and and this is really, is gonna lead us into the second word I'm gonna give you here in just a few moments. And it's really the essence of kind of where I wanna focus the remainder of our thoughts, is that Jesus was faithful to his work. We are called to be faithful to our work. Not the work in the sense you and I think of it. We are called to be faithful to the work that we are given in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Salvation is a work, but not in the sense we think of it. Salvation is actually the work of God in us that we choose to respond to and cooperate with. The moment that we think that we can somehow become good Christians on our own, we are deceiving ourselves. The moment we think we can live a faithful life before God, we actually are setting ourselves up for failure. The truth is, That salvation is the work of God that's taking place inside of us that we are then responding to and cooperating with. There's a misnomer that people think they can grow spiritually. Reality is God is the one who initiates our spiritual growth. God is the one who's doing a work inside of us. He's doing it for his good pleasure. He's working and he's willing in us to become all that God envisioned for us through Jesus. And what our responsibility is, is to be faithful to that work God is doing. Now, Jesus tells this really interesting parable in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25. The parable of all of us who've been given these gifts, right? Not of us, they're a gift of God's grace. And yet God gives them to us based on his will and determination, 
to one he gives five, to one he gives two, to one he gives one. And when the one who is given five and the one who is given two bring back their gifts and say, look at what we have been willing to do because we trusted you. Jesus said, God on that day will have a statement for those people. In fact, it's the statement that I would suggest all of us should be using as our metric of success. It's faithfulness. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Manager. Caretaker. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. I know this defies logic. But you may take a final breath on this earth someday that may may stop your body, but it will not stop your life. You and I will continue to live on into eternity and ages that have not been yet born, and we will be part of the work that God is doing to the degree that we're faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to challenge us this morning that the very first metric that we are all called to use to measure our success by is not our accomplishments, it's not our affluence, it's not even our influence. It is our faithfulness. So there's actually a second metric, a second word that I think Scripture uses to define success. That as we redefine success during this season we're in, and God calls us to measure our success by this second word. It actually is an outflow of the first metric, faithfulness. It brings us to our big idea today. Here it is. As I am faithful, I become fruitful, which makes me successful. Let me say it again. As I am faithful to God, I become fruitful, which makes me successful. The degree to which I am faithful to attend to the work that God is doing in me actually determines my level of fruitfulness and the degree of my success. Did you know that the very first words, two words that God spoke to his creation, to mankind, you know the very first two words were be fruitful? You go back to Genesis chapter 1, Verse number 28, and you see it very clear. The very first words that God spoke were be fruitful. And that never changed. God's desire has always been that we would not only be faithful, but that we would be fruitful. Now, last weekend, we actually found our placeholder in John's gospel, the 17th chapter. This morning, we're returning to the time frame of that text because the time frame of that text is actually Jesus' final night with his disciples when he is preparing to be betrayed, to be arrested, to be crucified. 
John devotes five chapters, John 13 all the way to chapter 17, to Jesus' final night. And this morning, I want to take us to the 15th chapter of John's gospel, where Jesus gives us, in his final night on earth, this profound teaching on fruitfulness. It was so important, this metric of success, that Jesus takes the time to actually do an extensive teaching on what it means to be fruitful and how we become fruitful. John chapter 15, let's begin at verse number five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Let's drop back to verse number one. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. So in vintage Jesus style, he actually takes, by way of illustration, a vineyard to talk about what our lives are intended to be like in him. He says, God is like a gardener. I am like a vine. And you are like branches. And what Jesus here is getting at is this. There can be no garden without a gardener. There can be no life flowing into the branches without the vine. And at the end of it all, there is no fruit that's going to appear without both a gardener and a vine. When we were in Hocking Hills just a couple of weeks back, we stumbled upon a beautiful vineyard. We, we were actually so impressed by the view of it, and we took time to just go and enjoy this vineyard. We watched the sunset one evening as we were looking at this beautiful vineyard. If you kind of closed your eyes enough, you would think that you were sitting um, somewhere in Italy, perhaps somewhere in Napa Valley, looking over this beautiful vineyard. I had time that evening to talk to the proprietor, the one who had bought that land about 10 years earlier, and he said, when I bought this property, there was nothing on it. There, was, there wasn't one vine growing. And over the last 10 years, he's been working the land. He's been cultivating the land. He's been working the soil to get it just right to be able to produce a fruitful harvest. Now, imagine this. For 10 years, this guy was getting his hands dirty, putting up the posts, wiring the fences, planting the seeds, getting the vines growing, and then cultivating and working the soil. I think the point of Jesus is Um, story here, an illustration of this, is that the gardener doesn't sweat the vine. The gardener understands that the vine will do what it's intended to do, given the right conditions and given the proper nutrients. What does the gardener sweat? The gardener sweats the soil. Because that's one thing that he can be responsible for. He doesn't know how much water he'll get each year. 
He doesn't know how much sun he'll get each year. He has no control over those things. But what he does control is he controls the soil. Now in Paradise Lost, John Milton actually calls the soil of our past a compost pile. Think of a compost pile. What is a compost pile filled with? Animal excrement, dry old leaves, eggshells, potato skins, banana peels, and left alone, the smell is putrid. But when it gets covered, and when it's let to sit, what happens? It not only begins to smell wonderful, but it produces rich soil, rich nutrients, out of which a harvest of fruits and vegetables and flowers can grow. But what any good gardener, any good horticulturist will tell you is this. If you're going to get the soil right, you've got to be patient. You've got to be willing to wait, sometimes for years, like the owner of that vineyard in Hocking Hills. The soul that produces rich fruit comes out of rich soil that is filled with pain that has been repurposed. A lot of stinky stuff that nobody would want to look at. We don't think it has any value. And yet, what is God doing? God is repurposing the pain. God is repurposing the past to bring about something of wonderful value. And what is the value that he has in mind? John chapter 15, verse 16 tells us, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Do you, do you, do you hear what Jesus is saying here? It's really profound. I hear people from time to time talk about the day they got saved. The day they chose to follow Jesus. And listen, I get what's intended by that. But the reality is that day was just the day you woke up to a reality that you were chosen by God's love. You and I are not the initiators of our salvation or of our spiritual growth. God is the initiator of all of it. And he's the gardener who's doing a work and he has a purpose for that because we are not just anointed in Jesus to be sons and daughters of God, but listen friends, we are also appointed to bear fruit, to become fruitful lives and have lives that are overflowing with a rich abundance of God's goodness that others can taste and see that God's good. Overflowing with a rich abundance of faithfulness so that others can taste and see God is faithful. You go right down the line and what you recognize is that we have been called by God and God is the initiator doing this incredible work. But how do we get from being chosen to becoming fruitful? Jesus actually tells us how. John chapter 15, verse number two. 
Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that it will be more fruitful. How in our lives do we produce fruit that is going to last and outlast our lives? The Bible says that God does it by pruning. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of pruning shears. I've seen bushes and plants and shrubs get pruning shears taken to them, and it looks wildly uncomfortable. It looks wildly unpleasant. There doesn't look like there's even an ounce of joy in being pruned. And yet, a horticulturalist will tell you that without the pruning process, plant life cannot produce the level of fruitfulness it's intended to. It's the only time in all of the scripture in the New Testament that this word prune is used. The only time it appears. And Jesus uses it. And the word literally means to eliminate what is unfruitful in order to expose what is fruitful. It means to purify by a purging. It means to eradicate those things that are not filled with life so that those things that still are beating and full of life can come forth and burst forth in us and through us and out of us. Truth be told, the Christian life is a continual cycle of God's pruning in us. Don't look now, friends, but God is constantly at work on you. You may not be responding to the work. You may not be cooperating with the work, but the reality is God is working on you to create rich soil in your heart and in your life out of which can come fruit that will last. I read a quote a number of weeks ago that actually was just brilliant at describing what I'm talking about here this morning. It's actually a quote that was written by Thomas Merton. Here's what he said. Unintentionally and unknowingly, we fall back into imperfections. Bad habits are like living roots that return. These roots must be dug away and cleared from the garden of my soul. The truth is, without proper pruning, you and I will never reach our maximum potential in God. And so what does God do? God goes to work on the living roots. Those things that are there from our past, those scripts, those shadows that actually emerge from time to time and are not what God's intended purpose is for our lives. This past week, I had to sit down with somebody and I had to ask for their forgiveness because I had unknowingly and unintentionally allowed the living roots to win the day. 
And what did God do in the middle of it? God was exposing me to what was happening in my heart that needed some attention. It's always easy to look at another person, isn't it, and say, I wish they would do that differently. I wish this would be different. But what does God do? God's always the gardener who's coming and saying, I want to get the full potential out of you. And to do so, I got to look into your heart. And I got to let you see those places that are unfruitful so that my fruitfulness can burst forth in a way that honors me. Your faithfulness and my faithfulness to God's pruning, to that process, is actually going to determine our level of fruitfulness in our lives. So to become fruitful and have fruit that remains, we have got to endure the pruning process where God is working on the garden of our soul to create rich soil. The second thing Jesus told us in John 15 verse 4, He said, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. On the date night I talked about a few moments ago, One of the things I planned for Kelly that night was to take her to a sunflower garden where she could cut her own sunflowers. And we walked and we were picking the flowers and we were talking to the owner of the farm and talking about those sunflowers that had not yet opened up fully. And we just asked the question, what will they be like once they get cut? He goes, well, they may bloom, they may look nice, but they won't be anything like when they're in the ground. They'll grow the best right here in the planted soil. What what he was saying was this. To become fully fruitful, they got to remain. They got to abide. The word means simply to be um, at home with someone, to be present with someone. It's used elsewhere of somebody who takes lodging as a guest, but then becomes a welcomed friend. Somebody who becomes a guest in the home that now says, make yourself at home. That's exactly what Jesus here is inviting us to do. That as he remains in us, we are then called to simply remain in him. To be steady. To be steadfast. Not to allow the currents and the winds and the waves to throw us. But to bring us back to God. To remain in him. John 15, verse 8 says this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is significant. Because what Jesus is saying here is this. Not only when we become fruitful do we bring glory to God, but we actually prove to the world that we are true disciples of Jesus's, that we actually belong, that we are who we claim to be. We are the men and women that we say we are as Christ followers. And what is this fruit that actually proves to the world that we are disciples? Paul gives it to us in Galatians chapter five. This is the fruitfulness of God's spirit. This is what God wants to radiate 
and flow naturally out of our soul that has been gardened well by God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, as you hear those nine qualities of God's fruit flowing through us, he is the vine, we are the branches. I would ask you, which one of those triggers you the most? In other words, which one of those do you recognize is probably still a unripened fruit in you? God is always bringing me back to these. In his pruning process, this is where God lands me and says, which of these areas am I cultivating growth in you, calling you to a level of fruitfulness that is not your own, but it's me? You're now letting me flow through you. And I want you to think about these today. Because these are the things that God invites us to allow to flow through us by his spirit. You can claim that you are fruitful. You can claim that you are a Christian. But the only way you can claim that you are a true disciple of Jesus and you are a fully surrendered follower of Christ is that you are committed to letting the fruit of God's spirit flow out of you. That's gonna take God's work. And it's gonna take your response and cooperation. Because we are not the initiator, God is. God is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. You and I, we are the branches. So from this point forward, whenever you think of success, I want you to think of two words, faithfulness and fruitfulness. Jesus was faithful, am I? Jesus was fruitful, am I? Because as I am faithful, I become fruitful, which I believe the scripture teaches is successful. This morning as I close us in prayer, I want to offer a prayer to you that is found in the common lectionary. It's actually from William Barclay's Prayers of the Christian Life and the Christian Year. And it's a prayer that I want to offer to us today. We give our lives to God and we redefine our level of success according to the way that Jesus lived out his life. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. Even at home, if you'd like to join us by standing, just simply bow your head, close your eyes, and maybe if you're comfortable, turn your hands and your palms upward to heaven as a sign of, God, I'm inviting you. And I want to respond to you, to your invitation to me that I be faithful, that I be fruitful. Here's the prayer. Oh God, our Father, we remember at this time how the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you that Jesus took our human body upon him so that we can never again dare to despise or neglect or misuse the body since you made it your dwelling place. We thank you that Jesus did a day's work like any working man that he knew the problem of living together in a family, that he knew the frustration and irritation of serving the public, 
and that he had to earn a living and to face all the wearing routine of everyday work and life and living. And so he clothed each common task with glory. We thank you that he shared in all happy social occasions, that he was at home at weddings and at dinners and at festivals and in the homes of simple, ordinary people like ourselves. Grant that we may ever remember that in his unseen risen presence, he is a guest in our homes. We thank you that he knew what friendship means, that he had his own circle of men whom he wanted to be with, that he knew too what it means to be let down, to suffer from disloyalty and from the failure of love. We thank you that he too had to bear unfair criticism, prejudice, opposition, malicious and deliberate misunderstanding. We thank you that whatever happens to us, he has been there before. And that because he himself has gone through these things, he is able to help those of us who are going through them. Help us never to forget forget that he knows life because he lived life and that he is with us at all times to enable us to live victoriously, to live faithfully, and to live fruitfully. These things, God, we pray and we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.